You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Forty years ago, this is Emeritus Rex with Rabbi Ruven Yeshua Pupko. You know, Rabbi Pupko, who we all know comes from Beth Israel, Beth Aaron, Cote St. Luke, Montreal, but I've referred to you often as the Secretary of State of Rabbinic Canada, and you, and I've actually heard that from other people uh, from uh, from Montreal who talk about your significance, and I always, uh, when, when, when I can't figure something out that's going on internationally, uh, probably because I didn't spend enough time reading up on it, um, but still, it seems to be a lot of confusion uh, reigning. I know that uh, Rabbi Pupko has a his ear to the ground and understands what's going on, especially what's happening this week, which seems to be the dissolution of the coalition of in, in Eretz Yisrael, the Bennett-Lapid coalition that um, has been only around for a little bit over a year. Right. Uh, they, I, I believe they announced that there's going to be procedures that will have a call for new elections. There's going to be an interim period now where Yair Lapid uh, will be the uh, acting prime minister, just like the power sharing. Um, and uh, But it seems to signal that in October, November, after the Yom Tovim, uh, there again will be another uh, election. And it's interesting that this government has now been labeled a failure because it was not able to be s- sustained. And once again, the, the headlines and the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, are talking about BB making a comeback. I know you have what to say about that as well, but tell me a little bit about what occurred that caused this to uh, dissolve and what that tells us about uh, Israeli life and political life and beyond right now. So here's the thing. It's hard for us to, uh, uh, here in North America, to really understand the dynamic, and not just the political dynamic, but the social dynamic. What, what happened was there were four elections in a row, which, let, left, which, which did not permit the formation of a government because the blocks are pretty set where they are. Uh, yeah, there was some fluctuation between them, but ultimately nobody could form really a government. After the fourth election last year, <coughs> I mean, they had gone on over some time. The election that took place last year, a strange thing occurred. Naftali Bennett, who is from the Yamina pro, pro, uh, uh, party. Now, Yamina, as you can tell from its name, is not a left-wing party, nor is it a centrist party. It's a right-wing party. Many of the people, uh, you know, who, who are in that party, we would normally associate in the old days with the National Religious Party, okay? But they were religious Zionists, many of them. And, um, but, so normally they would, you, you would consider them a, a logical partner for Philly Could, as you would some of the other parties uh, that got into Knesset. Uh, New Hope, right? Tikvah Hadashah, led by, uh, uh, led by Gideon Saar. Parties like that at Victor Lieberman, these are parties that are right-wing or center-right. And in the past, people like this, and sometimes in the case of Victor Lieberman himself, were partners to Bibi. Now, 
Lieberman, in many ways, the trigger of this was one of the earlier elections. Uh, everyone assumed he'd be joining BB and forming a government again, but he refused because he has a very strong anti-Haredi uh, constituency and a very strong anti-Haredi uh, policy. So that made the formation of the government, government impossible in, in, in that iteration. But the key thing is you have right-wing parties or center-right parties like Benny Gantz and Gidon Saar and Naftali Bennett, all of whom are ideologically, you know, in, in Bibi's camp, one would say, but sometimes even more to the right than Bibi. But what they have in common is a shared animosity for Bibi. And they were willing to go to great lengths and make great compromises in order to ensure government without Bibi. That's not led by Bibi. So what happened was these, these people, these, these parties went ahead and formed an alliance with Yesh Atid, Avir Lapid. They went ahead and formed an alliance with, uh, with Meretz and, to everyone's astonishment, with an Arab party, which gave them a bare, bare uh, majority in the Knesset, and they were able to use that for about a year, and um, and and they and they and they governed, uh, you know, I think in anybody's estimation, in, in not a bad way, and uh, but but again, they were brought together really by a shared commitment not to see Bibi as prime minister again, and right now, so what happened was that the the strongest critique, there are two strong critiques of this government. From the right, number one, for the first time, an Arab party is part of the governing coalition. Now, their defense is, you know, the guy that first negotiated with them to form the government was Bibi after the last election. Bibi tried to do exactly what Bennett did and then was castigated for it, but Bibi tried to do it also. Number two, but again, you know, hypocrisy is not something brand new. Um, the other thing is the people who voted for Yamina certainly do not imagine their party going into an alliance with Meretz or an Arab party, or even some of the other parties, like Yer Lapid. They were thought they were running for a right-wing agenda. So there was deep betrayal. Now, here comes the second element. It's a very small country. <laughs> and religious Zionist Jews live in very, you know, uh, specific places. So when Yamina goes into this, uh, this coalition, uh, with those other parties, just to keep Bibi out of power, whether it's their spouses or their children, are now under enormous pressure from their neighbors, their voters, the people they live with. How do you go ahead and make a government with Arabs? How do you go ahead and make government with Arabs? How do you go ahead and allow a uh, and allow the formation of a government that isn't right wing? How do you do that? And so there was enormous pressure put. So immediately from the get go, one of Yamina's MKs bailed. Another Yamina uh, uh, MK bailed a few, uh, I don't know, a month ago already, maybe more. Another and, one- and, and that really sort of dovetailed with an increase of attacks uh, right. from so- Palestinians on, on Jewish settlers and right. on Jews, uh, innocent Jewish citizens, right? That has that is increased. Now, but, but you'd be hard-pressed to think of a left-wing move from this government. What did they do left-wing? I mean, did they, uh, I don't know, did, did, did they uh, uh, allow the Americans to open a consulate in Jerusalem to serve the Palestinians? No, there was a hard no on that. The major difference between them on, on uh, between this government and the and Bibi's government on Iran was 
they didn't they were critical of the Americans only behind closed doors. They didn't take the campaign public, which you know people could argue and say maybe that was the right way to do it. I don't know. You know, but again, there is no deal with Iran. Biden did not take the Revolutionary Guard off the terror list. Maybe Bennett had something to do with that. Maybe he influenced them that way, or maybe it was just internal American politics. But be that as it may, there was nothing left wing about this government. Nothing left wing about this government. They handled the uh, the Spurton terror some weeks back. They handled it as well as anybody else could have. Um, yes, any, but any in any criticism you could level against them, you could have leveled against previous governments. They weren't didn't maintain the security wall. But that certainly didn't start. That negligence didn't start with uh, uh, with Bennett. So you know you you go back. In some ways, they got tougher on Iran. They're uh, they're bombing. And real Iranian military sites in Syria, uh, and, and, and certainly an uptick of pressure on the Iranian government. So they didn't do anything left wing except sitting with these people. Uh, however, on the religious agenda, they certainly did dramatic things that were against the Haredi parties. Number one, they were willing to devolve uh, conversion processes to local rabbinate, the assumption being that local rabbis. Are uh, have a more welcoming uh, attitude or more liberal attitude towards converts than the uh, stricter posture of the centralized chief rabbinate. They were also uh, they also started this uh, separate hashkafa to get away from the kosher supervision. Uh, you know they facilitated that in opposition to the established rabbinate. Now you and I, especially you, because you're much much older than I am, you remember the time when. Ironically, it was the Haredim who were dumping on the chief rabbi, uh, that they weren't from enough. Now the Haredim are defending the chief rabbi because they control it. But um, it, it, let, let's put it in a different light. Many of the Haredim have found um, Parnosa now <laughs> within positions of Hashkocha and Kashras. Within right. And that's, that really, no, that's mirror, that really mirrors, by the way, what's happened here with the OU. I don't know right. if the MK... You, the OU and the MK and, and all the conscious organizations that we remember as being staffed by modern rabbis are now staffed by Haredi Rabbonin. Right. And- no, no, listen. I mean, these, these, listen, you and I both know that generally people, generally speaking, people involved in Ashkocha are not exactly uh, charismatic Jewish leaders. These are the people who under normal circumstances would be unemployable. So we send them to conscious organizations where they have to deal with monoglycerides instead of human beings, which is fine. It's just fine. Somebody has to do it. So um, you'll forgive my disparaging of the entire conscious no. family. Um, well, look, there has been a, a, it isn't just, oh, now the Haredim have jobs. There's also been an increase of Heinemann and others have been on the forefront of that, of understanding the science and uh, about oh, for sure. no, there's a lot of improvements and a lot of standardization yeah, yeah. that's to be that's laudable but again so they go to these conventions with each other you know funded by jews who spent their last nickel on buying a, a kosher pound of chopped, of chopped meat and and they go to these conventions and they don't sit around bragging about the coolers they found they they, they sit around like bureaucrats which is what they've become bragging about the power they have and the power like a customs or immigration agent is employed by saying no, not by saying yes. So, 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 the, you know, the, so the government loosened those controls and allowed smaller, right. uh, more makele 
uh, kashrus organizations. I don't know if they're more makel. I mean, listen, I I don't know if they're more makel, honestly, because, you know, the Zohar guys, listen, we've all heard horror stories over the years of kashrus under the chief rabbi. You know, there have been, you know, you, you, I mean, I know stories from Haif and other places where there was terrible negligence under the Rabbanos. So I don't know they're more lenient. I know, I, I believe they're more honest, the, the newer guys. I don't know if they're more lenient. I really don't know. I don't know enough about I think it, so. part of it was also, the way I remember, <clears throat> was the use of, of closed-circuit television cameras in restaurants and in hotels and in factories. Right as opposed to uh, human, human beings, beings, which which take, took Parnos away from... But the bottom people. line is cameras are more reliable than people. Yeah. No, cameras, no. Don't have, cameras don't have to dive in the Cameras don't have to go to the bathroom. Right. And, uh, and cameras have a record, a clear record of what has happened. No, no, no. We, we, I work for the OU and we rely on cameras as well. So obviously, again, I think what you're trying to bring out is that uh, some of the policies angered um, the Haredi? Uh, but again, in the Haredi rhetoric against Bennett, I mean, it was vicious. I mean, you know how vile it get. Yes, yes, it was terrible. It was terrible, especially, especially you know, you know, the elephant in the room. Here is Bennett wearing a yarmulke, keeping Shabbos, the first Israeli prime minister to be openly a shemer teremitzvus in the history of the of the state, uh, and they. I mean, I- I would include Begin in that, but wearing a yarmulke, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, Begin, Begin was a little bit loose in terms of his application. Look, no one, no one can deny Begin's Messiras Nefesh and Sidkus in a different level. But in when terms his of- wife Eliza died, the Chavikadish reluctantly had to call him to ask him if she kept Tyrus on the to be buried in the Chelke that he wanted, and he, they asked him straight, and he said yes. I have no look. Like I said, Begin is complex, but here's Bennett. You know, uh, not the most charismatic of of persons, but smart, and I guess politically, I don't know how savvy he was politically, but somebody who was clearly uh, someone who you know uh, sent his kids to a religious school, uh, appreciated. One hundred percent is a phone guy. The bottom line is, here's the here's the problem for Bennett right now, is that everybody who voted for him in the past. They'd be very reluctant to vote for him in the future because by going into this coalition with left-wing parties and with an Arab party, he he did, in fact, betray his voters. As much as we may like him, there's no question his voters have every right. But, to you know, but I interrupted you before and, and, and you castigated me for that last week, so I'm not going to do it too often. No, you can, but, you can do it. Yeah, but, but I think what you were trying to say was is that there was a groundswell of Haredi discontent and that caused the pressure uh, on others to sort of pull, I guess, to for other MKs, as you said, to pull out of the coalition. I, I wouldn't describe it solely to the MKs, to the Haredim. That means the nationalist right, uh, the right-wing Zionists, certainly were also, the right-wing religious Zionists, you know, put enormous pressure on all these Yamina MKs. To pull out, okay. I mean, yeah, their natural partners are not there. I no, mean, no, no, no. When you officially look at the news stories that describe what the issue was that toppled this government, um, we talked about this before we started recording. It was the granting of continued Israeli law to 
uh, what they call the, the Akhenite, yeah. the Shtachim. Now we know the Shtachim, it isn't just, you know, some windblown piece of terra firma out there, you know, where there's a guy, there's one Israeli flag surrounded by Arabs in their olive trees. We're talking about cities like Efrat, uh, full towns with... And it would seem that this is a rubber stamp issue because these uh, these shtachim, uh, these moshavim, the shtachim, these cities are crucial to Israeli life. Some of the best and brightest uh, of, his, of, of Israeli populace is there, and it would seem to be a rubber stamp idea to continue law, although, like you said, they were not annexed. But it would seem a, a, a simple to keep Israeli law there, and yet this was somehow the the, the issue that. That, that didn't go it didn't go so smoothly what happened so again Likud obviously supports this legislation but voted against it just as a way to chip away to the credibility sustainability of bennett's government so they are the bb in other words you you tripped me on the dance floor i'm gonna dump water on you on well the here's the floor. question this goes back for a long time in Israel. i forget who said it but I remember after one election in Israel, the opposition leader said it's our job in the opposition to try to bring down this government as soon as possible. Now, I don't think those kinds of things are said in the British Parliament. It's the opposition's job to be the loyal opposition. Right? Somebody gets elected, give them a chance, you critique them when you have to. But is it your job to try to bring them down at all costs? No, I mean, you allow democracy, but again, in Israeli politics, as the Parsha says, is Eretz Achelos Yeshver, and it's a, uh, it's, it's a very uh, ugly climate at times. And look, well, Begin until 77, whenever he became prime minister, <laughs> he, was a, he wasn't exactly a, a pussycat leading the opposition. He was, was he trying to bring down... No, but Israel? also, he joined the government before the Six-Day War, the unity government, you know, there's no he, he 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 stepped up when he had to. His opposition was on policy. And so you're uh, saying that the type of ugliness of Netanyahu, knowing that this was uh, an issue that, of course, his constituents and he himself feels are is important. But you know what? I'm not going to vote for it. And this way, this will create a no confidence vote. So I'm going to specifically undermine you in order to bring you down. Right. So two things are happening at the same time, though. One of which helps BB and one of which hurts BB. The one that helps BB is, you know, every two weeks, the Haredi uh, uh, voter base grows, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a demographic that is experiencing explosive growth. So the Shah's party, the Guda party, whatever, will certainly, you know, have, have, but again, what's remarkable, if you look at the Haredi vote, and not and don't look at just how many seats they've won over the years. Look at how many human beings show up to vote for them. Given their explosive demographic growth, they should have more seats now, which tell you that Haredim are not necessarily voting for Haredi parties. It tells you something which we've all known for a long time, but don't talk about it a lot, which is that slowly the, the Haredi community has become Zionized. Not in attire, not in celebrating Yomasmut, but with a strong identification with right-wing Zionist policies. And they, when and when they go to the voting booth and they have to decide: Am I voting my religious uh, aspirations or my security aspirations? Often, the security aspirations trump the religious aspirations, and they'll vote for Likud 
or someone to the right of Likud in order to make sure that they have the strongest uh, government in terms of opposition to, uh, to, to, to Palestinian demands. So it, again, so the, the numbers of people actually voting for the Haredi parties hasn't gone up as much as you would have thought it would go up given their demographic uh, growth. However, as the Haredi numbers grow and as their power grows and as their influence and clout grows, you also have at the same time a growing uh, disinclination uh, to live in a world where Haredim uh, wield that kind of power. So guys like Lapid and Lieberman, who run on a stridently anti-Haredi agenda, also enjoy greater support because whether it's exemption from the army or whatever it is, or what's perceived to be unfair economic advantages and, 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 and help they get when, when, when they are part of a coalition government, there is a growing animosity as well at the same time. Not necessarily to Haredi, and this is very important to distinguish. There's not necessarily a greater animosity to Haredi. There's a greater animosity to Haredi power, right, and how they wield that power. In other words, Haredi and the Knesset are not advocating for stricter laws on Lashon Hara, right? They're, they're, they're advocating for more money for my yeshiva, right, and, and, and you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's very, very much an, uh, an interest-based approach not a value you're, you're saying that this is this provides a logical and um resonant argument to marshal uh left-wing israelis against any government or even the centrist israelis against any government that haredim have right. uh, have a disproportionate amount of representation but, but there's no question any objector observer today would say that there's two ways for this current kerfuffle to end. One is, one way they avoid new elections. Instead, um, there's a reconfiguration in the present Knesset, which could, again, lead to Bibi being prime minister, with some of the parties that were the old Bennett coalition joining him. I mean, there, there is an attempt there, or at least some of the members of Knesset. Remember, the margins are razor thin. You get a couple of defectors from Yamina, whoever, join Bibi, you know, Bibi will get a government between those new defectors plus his, you know, his his, his allies in the Haredi world and 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 in the religious Zionist uh, party. So you, you could ha- you could avoid an election. Most people believe that won't happen; that there'll actually be new elections. And in those new elections, um, we don't know what will happen. Um, um, do, do, you know, I, I read this morning that Israeli analysts, of course, they could change tomorrow, that Bibi has a strong chance of being voted in, maybe even stronger than he was before, because Bibi can point to the weakness of the coalition that just now preceded him. He could talk about how duplicitous. Last episode, we talked about age and uh, ability. Um, And and I think what we're hearing, especially in the United States press, which loves personalities and demonizing personalities and making that the central issue to think about. Uh, they've talked about how you know this is BB's last chance. BB's getting older. Um, BB is demonic. Uh, and, and there's, there's even in the I, I, again. I'm no big Trump fan, but I think there was a conscious effort by um, the American press to demonize Trump. And to 
connect him to Bibi. And Bibi was also considered, uh, you know, one of these uh, sort of, you know, Machiavellian characters who didn't really have much. The New York Times once lumped Bibi together with uh, the Hungarian Orban and with with Trump as being somehow authoritarian. I mean, which is a bizarre analogy. Listen, there's no question the Bibi of the 90s is different than the Bibi today. Uh, The Bibi of old was less inclined to disparage the traditional institutions of Israeli political life, whether it be the Supreme Court or other institutions. There's no question that as his own legal problems have increased, he's more likely to, uh, uh, you know, to be heard disparaging uh, the court system. He's also more likely to do things like he did during before the last election, which was to legitimize some extreme figures. You know, because remember, the margins between the, the two coalitions were so narrow that Bibi went out of his way to make sure that there wouldn't be wasted votes. Because, you know, there's a there's a threshold to get into the Knesset. And if you don't cross that threshold, the votes could be wasted. And so he went ahead and he encouraged an alliance between uh, Smotris and Ben Gvir on the extreme right parties that he never would have dealt with before, or at least a party he never would have dealt with before. But he was so desperate to be in power and not to lose votes in an election that he, that, that I think it, I actually think it backfired. I think less people voted because the extreme elephants were, were co-joined to the religious Zionists. And I think it was a mistake for Bibi, but in the end, but again, it, I understand what he was thinking. You know, we can't waste any votes. One, one, one seat, as you see, makes a difference between being in power or out of power. So, um, the, the, you know, so Bibi is certainly has behaved differently rhetorically and politically since, uh, you know, you know, since his own legal troubles have, uh, have increased. And there's still three, uh, you know, investigations, a trial going on. So he, he, he wants to be in power. Um, the question is, after the last election, there could have been a right-wing government, easily, between Yamina and Likud and, and, and you know, whatever, uh, there could have been easily a right-wing government. The only reason there wasn't, they were more than happy to join Likud. They weren't willing to join a Likud led by Bibi. Yes. So you could make the argument that had Bibi done the right thing for the country to make sure it had a right-wing government, Bibi would have stepped aside and allowed a government to be led by a guy like Gitsar or whoever. In other words, it would have been a solid right-wing government. And just Bibi wouldn't be in power, but it would have been a right-wing government. And the only reason you don't have that today is because the parties refused to sit to be under his thumb, and he refused to step aside. But on the other hand, although we don't like to talk about people being indispensable, in many ways, BB brings talent and experience to the office, which no one else ha- has. I mean, I remember meeting with a Harvard journalist a couple of years back, you know, who went on disparaging BB as the left wing always does. He's the guy everybody reads in hours, one of the lead, lead, lead writers. And But then he said at the end of the conversation, he said, but I have to admit, he says, no matter how much I don't like the guy, if there's a crisis at two in the morning, he's the only guy in this country I trust to run it well. Remember, BB would never acted recklessly in terms of uh, conflict and, and, and war and terrorism. He always acted in a very responsible way. And, um, and he you know, had- I, you know, I'm hearing little uh, two things here from you. I think you would admit that, you know, the BB that first, you know, exploded, I guess, on the scene as the Israeli leader, 
was a little bit more cerebral. Um, he still knew, of course, how to use a language, especially the English language that he's uh, that he's obviously super fluent in. But you 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 indicate that he's gotten a little crustier. He's become a little more personally vindictive uh, since he started. And many of the things that we applauded about Bibi when he was younger are no longer there because they've been pared away by years of fighting and you know uh, among his coalitionists. The other thing that is strange is that yes, he's the only. Why couldn't Bibi in all these years? Uh, produce a a protege. We all know that we, as we talked last week, right? Will you still need me? Like, will you still feed me? Right? We, we talked about last week. There's, you you know that, just like your 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 child expands, uh, the the ideas that you put down. Why didn't BB have someone to be the one to do to roll up the sleeves and do the fighting? A seventy five year old man, or whatever, how old he is, seventy three. That's not necessarily the, the space for the type of ribald politics that are in Israel. Right. So, you, you know, listen, he, he's far from the first gentleman in the political arena not to think about the day he's gone um, and, and not to groom a successor. But again, it, many of the problems he has is personal. In other words, these are some of these people who left him, left him because of conflict with not himself, but with his wife like Ayala Shaked and others and Naftali Benton. I mean, these are people who aren't just now his political opponents. These are, and, and, and who used to be in his party. These are people who worked for him. A Victor Lieberman worked for him. Naftali Bennett, Ayala Shaked. These are people who worked hand in glove with Bibi, who felt in the end betrayed to the point where they can't imagine sitting with him. Yeah, so it, 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 look, it does seem that in many ways it's of his own making. Um, and, and I think this is really, it, it bespeaks of, of, of this issue, like you said, not just among B, but other leaders who, who don't realize that the common good is what's important. He could retire and still be a very uh, important figure in Israel in terms of his opinions, in terms of some sort of ceremonial position, in terms of the, being the, the elder sage. I mean, this is what we expect. This is what all of us understand life to be. And Bibi seems to not understand that. Well, let me ask I mean, you he another... could have easily, easily stepped aside, become president of Israel, which is a perfect role for him in, in this latter stage of his political career. He could have been a wonderfully effective president. Um, as someone and, was... and that's not to take anything away from Ruby Rivlin. Ruby Rivlin did a or decent Herzog, job. Yeah, right. they did. They did good jobs. But again, Bibi, because of his ability to speak English, because of his ability to understand, and he is quick with the joke. You know what I'm but, saying? Yeah, he, no, he's listen. Listen, I, I've, been, I've spent time with Bibi. He's been a guest in my show on more than one occasion. He is a lot of fun to be with. He's witty. He's he's, he's very smart. Uh, very smart. And, uh, and, and again, uh, I, I, I appreciate, you know, many people appreciate BB, uh, you know, and they say he sort of like lives in the shadow of his brother who died in Kiddush Hashem trying to to save Jews. I actually feel, and again, others have written about this. I, I think BB in many ways, you know, was reacting to his dad, who of course was a world-class, uh, Israeli historian. Yeah, who was a really, uh, and, and it's, it's a tremendous thing, really, when you think about it, um, it, that so many of those people who are, uh, we see them as the uh, 
the amudim of Israeli politics, they come from uh, they come from stock of intellectuals. They come from stock of professors and scientists. And I think that's a that's a, I don't know if that's true anymore, but of that era, you know, it, it really is. We talk about I don't know about Moshe Aaron's and his uh, where where he was from, but there is something beautiful about the fact that these politicians, their parents were, you know, were, were, were historians and scientists. And oh, absolutely. I mean, listen, a guy, you know, I, I mean, they come from, they, they know where they come from. They know who they are. They know what they represent. And they're very, and they're very committed uh, to, to what's good for the country, uh, generally speaking. And, uh, and, and really, what, what's fascinating about Israel is that in the 1990s, there was this great political divide, the right, the left, labor, we could, blah, 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 you know, want accommodate the Palestinians, protect the Palestinians. That's all gone. There is a broad, <laughs> near consensus on, on the Palestinian issue, uh, on, on, on other issues, yet the personal animosities are, is really what's dominating today. I mean, what would, have, what would Bibi have done differently during the, uh, the the terror wave and the stabbings, what what would Bibi have done differently? What would Bibi had done differently with Russia and the Ukraine? What would Bibi ha- had had done differently on, on Iraq? Yeah, he would have been more vociferous, maybe. But what would have happened differently? And it's, you're, you'd be hard pressed to come up with a security issue that would have been handled that differently uh, uh, under Bibi's government. Religious issues, as we've said, dramatic change. But on the political issues and the security front, you, you really, I mean, what, what would have been so different under Bibi? I, I, I want to wrap this up with two little points. One is an interesting quote I heard recently from Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson said that he has to become a warrior in order for his child to be a, a farmer. farmer. Yeah. And for that, for that child... To become a poet, <laughs> and um, you know, it, it, we would love that to be you know what happened in Israel as well—the fighting to produce a stable, uh, working economic economic society, but hopefully to produce intellectual poetry and and, and beauty and ideas. Unfortunately, <laughs> we're not seeing much of that. I think what we're seeing is is that the the poets become warriors again. Uh, and, and within among themselves and you know uh, little... I, want to tell you, I, I, I you know what looking back on the, our conversation i would I just want to add one thing and i'm sorry i know you're wrapping up but i want to say one thing bb deserves an enormous amount of credit for many things the abraham accords it's only because of bb that's only because of bb no no it, it, the uh the economic boom in israel bb gets an enormous amount of credit the things that he changed as, 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 as Treasury said, as the, as the economics minister in the 1990s. He did an enormous amount for Aliyah. Also, he's unheralded for having increased funding to Arab communities in Israel, which has really, really averted, even though some people still think it's an appendic crisis, I, I don't happen to agree, uh, you know, a, a real integration of Arabs into normative Israeli society, which you see as a result an Arab party willing to join an Israeli government and say openly, as their leader did, that Israel is a Jewish state. So there are a lot of things that Bibi deserves enormous and lasting credit for, and uh, and, and navigating of tre- you know a, a, you know alliances. With, I mean, uh, you know, he he really did a remarkable job. And so it doesn't it make it that more tragic? Everything you've said. 
Doesn't it make it that more tragic that he isn't able to strip himself of the pettiness that I don't believe his father had, and that in, in the nineties I don't think he had. And I think right. this it's 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 a tragedy, really. It's right. a tragedy the way you circle the wagons and you dig your heels in. You know, I, I saw you know, and again, it's 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 a phony quote, but I you know supposedly the 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 Ar Hashulchan spent weeks. I don't know if it was weeks or days uh, talking with the Tzemach Tzedek, the Lubavitcher, Rosh Hashiva, and Rav, and, 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 and Rebbe. And one of the things that the Tzemach Tzedek said to him was that the, the Aruch HaShulchan was very surprised that the, he had a, uh, the Tshuvah Snoy to Yehuda on his table. Right. Snoy Yehuda was, although was not, uh, was not the Vilna Gaon in terms of his antipathy to Tzedek. Um, he was, you know, he, he, he represented a, a different strand. Right. And the Tzemach said to him, of course, this is an incredible safer. He says, however, I want you to know the Madura Tinyana, I don't see it as in, in the same light. Because when you have to respond to critics, when, when the book that you're writing is essentially a response to your initial, you end up, without realizing it, uh, becoming personal and your your your, your thought process becomes uh, skewered by skewed by the the by your own agias and i don't know if that's true for the night of Yehuda, but i would say when i think about it you think about whenever you're under attack and you counterpunch there's okay maybe you landed a blow but it was not with the same integrity and that's i think really you know it's a way to unfortunately dismiss someone who as you say rightly deserves so much credit let's let's end this with the next couple of weeks or months how do you see lapid do you see lapid as as, as as a as a just a dangerous figure do you see him as someone adequate what's look lapid comes from the world of the media he was a he was a television a news presenter and he's obviously very uh, photogenic a handsome man indeed um, what is, uh, how do you see Lapid as, as, as prime minister? Lapid has his, has his detractors, you know, but uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to give somebody a chance to, uh, to rise or fall on their own. Uh, you know, uh, it's an interim government. It's probably going to be limited what they can do, but, uh, you know, uh, I've seen him do some wonderful things and say the right things on occasion. Um, again, you don't know. I think it's an open, I really do. There are, again, there are people who love him. There are people who disparage him. I, I think we've got to wait to see what happens. Uh, sort of an equivocal here about Lapid. You're not sure. Is it possible, though, that despite his left leanings, unlike someone like Netanyahu and, and others that we, or Moshe Aaron's or others that we spoke about today, Lapid is a media creation. And maybe what's needed is someone who's just a great communicator, who smiles nicely, who's able to say the things that uh, can create a sense of calm. Um, I think Lapid has that talent. From but I, the question is, does he have the substance? And that's the real question. And uh, time will tell. I mean, we can look a little bit towards our uh, our uh, Ukrainian uh, co-religionist right. who also went from a media person, although I don't think he was a, a television presenter, but at some point in the media world, and we see that maybe that's what's needed. Look, Reagan proved it as well. But, Certainly uh, that skill is vital. The question is, does he have the substance to back it up? Well, and people like Bibi and Bennett always had the substance. Right, right, and but you know, as you say, for interim, it might be something that Maybe. we might be able to, and, and probably, well, I guess my point is, 
we, we you can't get upset at a good looking guy who smooth talks who basically <laughs> right it's hard to do that you know as, right. as brad pitt and even johnny depp proved a little bit uh right. recently so that's it my friends take care my friend we shall see you hopefully next week with some great great um, discussion and torah and fighting it'll be great see you next week be well bye Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.